A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast. Not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, the 2016 World Series champion Cubs. Hello, this is Ken. I am Rice Cube on Twitter with World Series Dreaming, and with me is our compatriot, Mike, also known as Davinsky. How are you doing, Mike? Uh, I'm doing well, much better uh, in the past 12 hours than earlier, but uh, well overall. Yeah, you, you had a snow day on Friday, just like the rest of us, I presume. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is a, a nice treat in the middle of uh, an unexpected three-day weekend. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think I, I wasn't anticipating, you know, a snow day, but then, you know, just pretty much right before I went home home from school, the principal came on the loudspeaker. I was like, yeah, we've got a snow day tomorrow. I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm down with that. So I haven't been, <laughs> done much in the past couple of days, but <laughs> I'm glad you got to enjoy it too. And I, I want to give a quick shout out to our fearless leader, Anno Catulli, also known as Ben. He, his mother is uh, currently in the hospital. She had a little ailment, and we want to send thoughts and prayers, if you feel like it, towards them. So thanks to you for stepping in, Mike. Uh, I know you've been uh, harping on Twitter for a long time, and we'll get into that. But, uh, yeah, really, really appreciate you. Oh, oh, no problem. It's uh, it's certainly a topic I've had thoughts uh, about. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you you know, yeah, you, you still have that draft in our in our archives. I don't know what it's about because I haven't looked into it yet. But uh, were you thinking of finishing that at some point? Is yeah, a- yeah. I, I've been meaning to to uh, complete, and really, that was just uh, the first part of a of a mammoth project I started. Oh uh last february so it's been yeah been a calendar year i think that i've been toiling on that off and on well i mean we're teachers so you know we don't actually have time (laughs) so yeah anyway i I guess we should get into the plan so uh obviously we got to talk about the big catch which is you darvish uh are the cubs okay now that they secured said big fish uh do they need to add more uh maybe we can talk a little bit about what's been happening in baseball lately with the uh, players union the fact that there's essentially been a free agent freeze toxic collusion and basically like what we've been so mad about on twitter (laughs) all this time so how's that for a plan man i love this plan i'm excited to be a part of it let's do it that sounds like a, a solid one as the spring gave away to summer, past the ivy-colored dreams, toward the days that kept us yearning for tomorrow. So, hey, hey, you, Darvish. That, yeah, we pretty much anticipated that he would become a Cub ever since the, 
the uh, off season started because of how, you know, uh, we, we figured the New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers will want to get under luxury tax cap. Uh, the Cubs at this point are still nowhere near the $197 million uh, threshold. So they're okay. And the fact is like you Darvish, man, that's. You, you got what I need, but you say he's just a friend. The best starter on the market, not named Jake Arrieta. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's certainly, uh, I think you Darvish was probably the, the best available option. I'm not sure that that was the, the plan at the start of the off season, but uh, given how strange uh, everything has turned out to be, um, the Cubs have landed a very good pitcher um, on a very team-friendly deal. Um, you know, uh, $21 million per year for a potential top-of-the-rotation starter is, well, quite frankly, a steal. Now, there's always risk. You know, his, uh, you know, Darvish, you know, is just uh, a couple years removed from Tommy John surgery. Um, and so fear that the the arm could blow up at any moment for a guy who makes a living, you know, throwing a baseball is very real, but uh, when healthy, he's been anywhere from very good to, you know, great. So, um, you know, just in terms of making the 2018 Cubs better, um, there's not really an argument to say that the roster hasn't taken a huge step forward um, today versus, you know, 24 hours ago. Right. And, uh, it seems like he has incentives in the deal. So you were talking about the base salary, which is $21 million a year for six years. Uh, he right. can earn, I suppose, an average of $4 million in incentives every year. And I, we don't really know how it's broken down yet, but that's a sweet deal. I mean, he's basically being paid about what John Lester is being paid. And you thought, at the beginning that he would get more, but because of the spending freeze and just teams being wacky this off season, uh, it turned out to really favor the Cubs after all. Yeah. I mean, we don't know the exact breakdown of the, the year by year um, salary, and we don't know exactly what these incentives are. It seems like uh, the incentives are are pretty aggressive. Uh, I think Ken Rosenthal said that to to earn the maximum 150, you uh, Darvish has to have like multiple Cy Young wins. So we're we're talking. He's basically got to pitch at like a, a Randy Johnson level uh, yeah. to to earn 150 million dollars um, total over the year. So you know has to pitch at this incredibly high level to be paid five million dollars less than John Lester. Now, there is an opt-out, um, and it seems like everyone – it seems like uh, it is going to be in two years, which makes sense um, for what Darvish would want. He wouldn't want to enter next year's free agent class, which is loaded with talent, you know, in all positions. And, you know, most of the money is going to go to Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. But the following year, he's got a chance to re-enter the market – and I've been speculating. I, I wrote on Cubs Den about this, and I, I put it on Twitter as well. I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that the front office has loaded up those those first two years that 
he might be making more like 50 million over the first two years. And then it'll be a, a smaller amount in the back half. So if Darvish has, you know, two really good years, he might, you know, opt out. And, uh, you know, the Cubs will have to look for someone to fill in in that year three. But um, I think they'd be pretty happy with that sort of turn of events of getting a, a really good pitcher, you know, at basically John Lester rate for two years and then not have to pay those final years. And then if they do get, you know, stuck with it per se, um, you know, it's really just, you know, 21 million per year. So uh, I'm kind of curious to see what creative accounting the front office has come up with, but uh, it's really hard not to be really excited both about the, the near term with adding a, a pitcher uh, of Darvish's caliber uh, to, and really just even about how, how little risk, relatively speaking, when you're talking about really, you know, a, a top of the rotation guy. I mean, this guy, you know, what, you know, pitched at a near, you know, Cy Young level. I mean, if Max Scherzer doesn't go nuts in, you know, the year before, you know, in 2014, you know, Darvish probably wins the, the Cy Young that year before he goes down with uh, Tommy John. Right. And uh, let's, let's just, for the sake of argument, pretend that you Darvish is going to be super badass over the next couple of years. And he does get those Cy Youngs. Like if that happens, the a- annual average goes up to 25 million. And I'm looking at uh Cots contracts right now. Uh, the Cubs currently, let's just be, very liberal about this and say they're at $165 million in payroll just before they sign, uh, sign you Darvish. That means you Darvish will get them to 190 and there's still $7 million under the cap. So they have enough, uh, to potentially add at the deadline, you know, somebody of importance. And, and I think that's really cool. Like how, they've basically positioned themselves like the Cubs, Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer have positioned themselves to say, okay, we can wait you out. We can get a deal that's favorable to us. And we can talk about like, you know, the logistics and the practicality and maybe the morality of that later. But from a business standpoint, this is great for the Cubs. Like you just shoved Mike Montgomery, who potentially could be a capable starter, but is a re- even better reliever back into the bullpen, you've just extended the bullpen with a middleman who can relieve uh, long innings, like two or three innings. And now you shoved Tyler Chatwood to the number five spot. And now the top four guys can be shuffled into any, any uh, number of permutations to, to set up match, good matchups. And it's like, wow, you did that. And you didn't even touch the luxury tax. That's amazing to me. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they've they set themselves up well. I mean, um, the Cubs certainly have leveraged their, their, their biggest resource right now, which is cash. Um, you know, the, the farm system doesn't exactly have the, the jewels that it, it once did. And so um, the ability to take on salary at the deadline is probably going to be a, an important feature for them. Um and the fact is, is that they're going to be, you know, below the, the tax threshold, you know, this year so that presumably 
as they make a push to add a Bryce Harper next year, and they're going to have to live above the, the tax threshold for a few years, that it won't be as crippling um, as, you know, if it was a, you know, five or six year run at that level. Yeah, I think that's, that's the case. And if you take, take a look at just the, the way, the way uh, they set up certain contracts, like uh, John Lester's contract for like the first and last years, I feel like they're mostly just signing bonuses, right? Just uh, the way the, the, uh, yeah, the structure it, it, is set the, up, they did the right. same thing with Jason Hayward. So the creative accounting here uh, could could be potentially very beneficial to them to try to, you know, just build some some uh, budget space and also to try to stay not too far above the luxury tax. So if they needed to move salary, like an NBA-style trade, they could, and, and it's just – maximizing flexibility. I think we've always seen this from this front office and it's like just one of those things that we really enjoy. Like somebody who actually thinks like several steps ahead, like a chess master almost. Yeah, no, I think you, you certainly saw that, um, you know, with any of the deals. I mean, we could talk about, you know, Jason Hayward and Ben Zobrist, uh, you know, both who were granted, you know, full no trade clauses in their first three years of the deal. And so next year they both will have limited no trade clauses. The average annual value of their deals will also uh, the, the, I should rephrase that the amount that they're going to get paid next year is going to be, you know, between the two of them, I think something like 5 million less Mm -hmm. than the average annual value of their deals are. So uh, you know, the Cubs certainly have some opportunities for some NBA style trades where maybe they they're giving up on guys. They're not expecting a lot back. Maybe they're even sending some money, but they can significantly lower their tax implications. And that's what I was kind of getting at with Darvish and the opt out. I'm kind of curious if, again, if this deal was sort of front loaded, like the Jason Hayward deal was um, in front of the opt-out as sort of an incentive to sign on this fairly friendly deal um, for the team. Uh, And that by then moving it to a a six-year total commitment that they're able to bring down that, that average annual value to give themselves that flexibility. Um, That number uh, uh, for the tax threshold is probably going to be about a million dollars less though. Cause if you recall, Chris Jimenez is on a minor league deal, but I believe it's a, like 1.3 million, something in that area. Yeah. Uh, if he makes the major league roster, which with you Darvish now on the team, you kind of figure his spot and uh, Victor Caratini going back to Iowa is kind of assured. Mm-hmm. So it's probably more like 10 million. They got to work with this year. Yeah, that makes sense. And, uh, I, I was just think, thinking about the opt-out as well because I we saw this offseason that Masahiro Tanaka didn't opt out. And I feel like, you know, he's saying all the right things in the media, but I feel like he he and his agent kind of knew that something was up going to be up with the CBA. And so he said, you know what, they're still going to pay me $60 million and I'd be a fool not to take it. And so my – feeling is until the union and the MLB figure out what the heck's going on that uh, we can't count on anybody to opt out of anything. 
So that no. money you, you just kind of assume is spent. And so uh-huh. you can't get out from under that. But at the same time, if he's like super badass, like somebody's going to pay him, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think, I think it's, uh, it's a couple of things. I think you are absolutely correct that the, the agents for, for Tanaka and, and Johnny Cueto were, uh, you know, absolutely right to advise their, their clients to stick around. I mean, Cueto wasn't much of a threat given the year he had, but, you know, Tanaka seemed like uh, a case that would have made sense to join this, this class of pitchers and to try to get a longer term deal. But um, he came out way ahead. I I think more the issue uh, is that uh, the, the Cubs, I think, offered uh, an incentive here for Darvish in this sense. I think they are perfectly content, you know, offering and and having Darvish for that six years at a 21 million, you know, per year rate. Uh, They can be a little creative in how, you know, the payments work. And so, you know, perhaps they're paying a little bit more of him up front. And so they can, you know, negotiate, you know, cash flow issues there. But it also gives Darvish, uh, you know, a reason to to sign with them as opposed to the Dodgers, who apparently were in the same ballpark with their offer. Um, you know, the Cubs were better by all the indications, but you have to wonder if, for you know, this combination of when money comes, you know, the opt out, no trade clause, you know, if those sort of factors helped push him uh, in favor of the Cubs, who. You know, reportedly, we're going to have to do a little bit more than the Dodgers to to get him to sign because, you know, he valued that familiarity so much. Uh, at least that's what we heard throughout the process. Right. Through the good times and the bad times, we stood beside you every day. Till now our dreams have gone unplayed. Take a look at the roster real quick, and I think uh... – at this time, if we consider that Chris Jimenez is probably going to be the backup catcher, then there there is like nothing else for the Cubs to get, right? Except for maybe a bona fide closer, but that's basically what uh, Brendan Morrow is right now. So it seems like the Cubs are done. No, I, I think absolutely the, the Cubs are done at this point. I mean, I think, you know, perhaps some sort of trade, you know, sort of falls into their lap. Maybe there is some sort of perfect move, um, you know, involving trading some of the surplus in quotation marks, uh, young position players for, you know, cost controlled pitching. But um, I kind of think this is the roster that you're, you're going to see, you know, uh, come, you know, you know, uh, late March, I guess this year in Miami. Um, You know, I think the, you know, kind of your, your only question marks at this point is, you know, are the Cubs going to carry 13 or 12 pitchers at the start? If they're carrying, you know, 13, is it going to be Justin Grimm? Is it going to be, you know, Dylan Maples? Is it going to be, you know, Dario Alvarez? You know, you know the list of, of various guys, Eddie Butler, who's um, out of options as Justin Grimm is. Um, so, you know, who's going to be that last spot if, um, you know, Tommy Listella also has options, but, you know, he seems fairly locked into his roster spot. But, I mean, I suppose they could carry, 
you know, Caratini um, and do three, three catchers with, you know, Wilson Contreras and Caratini's ability to sort of flex to uh, corner infield spots and some outfield um, or maybe Peter Borges, you know, who's also on a minor league deal, um, you know, provides that defensive replacement for, you know, Schwarber, you know, maybe sort of platoon option with uh, Schwarber Hayward, you know, but, you know, we're talking really kind of minimal moves on, on the outside. I mean, the the top, you know, 22 to, you know, 24 spots in this roster are, are pretty set in stone at this point, and, and their their roles, I think, are, are pretty well defined. You know, things change, injuries happen. But, um, no, I mean, I think you, you have a very good idea of what the 2018 Cubs look like um, to start the year right now. Yeah, and uh, I'm just looking at the roster right now, and it seems, well, we know that Hugh Darvish's deal isn't official yet. He's pending a physical, and, you know, they're frou-frou, brouhaha, press conference and whatnot. But uh, once Hugh Darvish is signed officially, that gives, that is 40 men on the 40-man roster. And so the Cubs can't really claim anybody. Like, you know, you talked about Eddie Butler and some other guys. They are out of options, and they could potentially be claimed. But uh, right now, that's that's it. I think transactionally, they can't really do anything else unless they designate someone for assignment. And I don't see anybody obvious that they would do that to right now. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the one thing is, is you got, you know, Drew Smiley on the roster right now. So once you get, so you can't do anything now, but prior to, you know, opening days to get, you know, Jimenez on the roster there, you can 60 day DL him right. um, to open up the, so you're not going to have to do anything there, but yeah, it's probably going to be, you know, um, trying to sneak Eddie Butler or, you know, Justin Grimm, you know, through waivers. Uh, if they see anyone they like, because there really isn't any surplus on the position player side. I mean, they, they, they literally have two, I mean, I guess Mark Zagunas might be the one guy you might see on the position player side that they could conceivably, you know, uh, sacrifice at this point because they have two catchers, just four, you know, full outfielders and eight infielders on the, the 40 man roster. So it's, it's pretty tight right now. Yeah. And a few of said infielders can pretty much play, you know, outfield like Chris Bryant could reasonably stand in all three spots and not look foolish. Ben Zobras can play the corners. And like, if you really need to, Javi could probably play left field. So, you know, you don't yeah, really I mean, need that backup outfielder. So, uh, right. yeah, I'll, I'll I mean, think- yeah. You got Ian Happ in there who can play all three spots. I mean, I, I'd say Javi probably could play center if he really wanted him to, but given how strong he is up the middle, you know, in the infield there, it would seem more likely to move anyone else out there. So, yeah. I mean, they'd certainly have a, a lot of, a lot of coverage in, in the players that they have, but, you know, 14, you know, uh, position players in total doesn't, leave a lot of room. So um, it does seem like uh, Eddie Butler is probably the first one to go. And then uh, Justin Graham is, you know, barely hanging on to that, that spot right now. 
Yeah. But then again, I guess they I mean you got some other guys like, you know, Luke Farrell and, uh, you know, Corey Mezzoni, you know, some of those, you know, um, the depth that they've got in AAA, but it is, it's, it's a good problem to have, you know, having too many good players on the roster. So. Well, a uh, look at AZ Phil's Arizona Phil's uh, list to see which one of those have options. Cause uh, it could well, use they... a taxi squad, right? Like who, who other than Naples ha- uh, has options right now? I don't think Grim oh. has an option anymore. Does no, he? no. Grimm and Butler are the two guys without options. Your, your taxi squad guys, you know, uh, Dario Alvarez, you know, they signed. Um, he's got an option left. They've got, um, you know, some of the guys who were just added. And, you know, Adbert Alzole, probably mispronounced that, butchered that one. But uh, Oscar De La Cruz, you know, were just added. They've got Luke Farrell. um Alec Mills, you know, um, trying to think who. Uh, but those know, two they, were added to protect them from the Rule Five. I don't think they're coming up anytime soon, so you don't need to well, worry too much about them. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but I mean, but but you know, Adbert there got up to to double A, so he's you know he's threatening at this point. Um, yeah. You know, he could potentially be there. De La Cruz is is farther away, is is unlikely to make an impact, but. Um, but there are, you know, the, the, the main guys is probably, you know, Alvarez, uh, Mills, and Farrell. Mm-hmm. Those are probably your, your taxi squad guys, yeah. uh, along with Maples, of course. You know, Maples is probably the first option at this point in time. The beauty and the history in this cathedral. The sky so blue against the grass so green. Like time stood still for. So uh, I think one thing that you you had brought up, and I saw several other people brought up, bring it up. I thought about it in passing. Is just the start of spring training when pitchers and catchers report uh, for the Cubs is on Valentine's Day. That's basically a soft deadline for signing somebody important to try to introduce them to new coaching system and to get them acclimated to said system. So. Uh, the fact that the Cubs were able to do this uh, a few days before spring training essentially starts is very good. And uh, I thought maybe you wanted to expound on that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a point that I was raising um, in terms of, you know, why the Cubs shouldn't just be willing to, you know, drag this thing out into March. Um, you know, you Darvish, you know, got, blown up in the world series and the report was that that was due to him tipping his pitches the cubs have spent you know most of this off season building up an incredible coaching staff you know whether it's the you know the new pitching coach jim hickey uh the assistant uh, special assistant to the gm and jim benedict who was a huge you know hire from the marlins uh and the existing guys you know bore Borzillo and, and uh, uh, drawing a blank on the other name, uh, I guess, you know, Lester Strode in the bullpen, but, um, you know, you've got really first rate coaches and, you know, Darvish has something to work on, um, you know, getting him the most time to work with those guys you know, that, that has value. I mean, it's not 
it's not something, you know, that, you know, you throw whatever amount of money, you know, at him to get it done. You know, it's, you know, go to the seven year 175 million that he reportedly was asking for at the beginning uh, of the off season, but it is worth something to get him that time. Also, I think, you know, we too often, you know, think of these guys as, as being robots and, you know, just that, you know, they're going to be able to go out and produce no matter what. Uh, we saw, you know, firsthand last year with Justin Wilson, you know, how, you know, getting thrown into a new environment, how that can affect guys. You know, Mike Montgomery struggled when he first got here. And for a guy who clearly was valuing familiarity, um, you know, having that comfort level, building that up with the strong clubhouse culture that the Cubs reportedly do have uh, was a good thing, is a, is a thing that would help, you know, Darvish you know, perform at his best early on, you know, when he's more likely to produce well. Because, I mean, if he has a rough first year, well, then he's got to come back at, you know, 32 and try to pitch at that high level. So doing everything you can to try to make that transition as smooth as possible, um, I thought had value. And I yeah. the Cubs front office valued it because, you know, all indications were that the Cubs were well short of a six-year offer. You know, we heard rumors of four- and five-year deals. You know, we'll probably never know exactly where they were at. But to get the deal done, they went to six. And, you know, the fact that that deadline, that soft deadline, was fast approaching, I think, played a part in it. We may, like I said, we may never know exactly the timing of this, but um, to a degree, I think the Cubs did blink a little bit here. Yeah. And I think uh, part of this is, like, I think both uh, Theo and Jed Hoyer talked about this, is when guys like uh, Justin Wilson came over and he he was really good for Detroit and suddenly he sucked. And that's part of the reason why they had to part ways with Chris Basio. They had to restructure their pitching philosophy to figure out, like, how do we onboard uh, a pitcher better? And maybe this is part of it. I, I don't really know. Like we aren't in the know. We are not the media. We're not in the front office. But uh, my thought is that at some point, if you're investing that much money in a guy, you should probably try to get him in as soon as possible and onboard him the right way. And maybe this is a test case. Maybe, we'll find out in the spring when Justin Wilson remembers how to throw a strike and you Darvish stops tipping his pitches. But yeah, that's something that's definitely on the mind, you know, like uh, why did Jose Quintana like ultimately pitch really well, but there were a few starts where he just really stunk up the joint. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. The Chris Basio thing is interesting. And the, the onboarding comment there, um, you know, did straight, you know, stand out and I, I do think Justin Wilson played a, a factor in you know Chris Basio not being here anymore um, you know I, on the first one hand we should you know mention it's not that Chris Basio is a bad you know pitching coach I mean the fact that you know he was out of work for a very short time I think indicates you know how he's thought of in the game but um, there were clearly some some you know conflicts here and I think uh when they were making those comments, uh, the the case of Adam Warren, you know, came to mind here where, you know, the Cubs, you know, made a move to get him, thought very highly of him, couldn't perform here, and then, you know, goes back to New York and is suddenly the pitcher that, you know, he was that they thought they were getting. So, um, 
you know, trying to get a guy and get him comfortable here. I mean, that's really important. And, um, you know, this clubhouse stuff, you know, we, I think on the, the numbers, the, the stat saber side, uh, we went a little far, you know, 10 years ago saying that it was completely meaningless. It's not, you know, the, the Cubs clubhouse culture isn't going to win them, you know, a hundred, 110 games. It's going to be the talent, but it is a positive. It is something that helps. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, having Darvish here now, I think, I think that had value again. I mean, I, I think the, the way that this played out, given the limited information available to us, not in the know, those of us without sources, uh, you know, I, I think it shows that. Through the good times and the bad times, we stood beside you every day. Till now our dreams have gone unclaimed. I think we can segue now to some, something that's been going on for the past few months, which is why we've been so frustrated and now we're so relieved that you Darvish finally signed, like what's going on with the, the way uh, front offices are operating. A lot of teams seem to basically be okay with the idea of tanking the, the idea of, okay, let's pocket all this money and wait out the free agents and not give them the money. That's what used to be flowing. Like, you know, it like a chocolate river basically. So what's, going on is there really a collusive element here or is it just like the market self-correcting and uh who is to blame here that that's a really loaded well, question yeah it, it is a very loaded question um I, i've got a, a loaded answer but um I'll, I'll work my way towards it um you know it, it's is this you know is what's going on, would that reach the, the legal definition of collusion? I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure that it reaches that level. Uh, on the other hand, I, I don't think we can dismiss it out of hand. Even after the U Darvish signing today, I don't um, – this is – you know, we, we're dealing with, you know, a group that has – been you know guilty of this of the legal act of collusion or at least has settled um you know offered offered you know monetary compensation for collusion several times since the uh 1980s uh, you know so it's not like this is some you know sort of you know tinfoil hat conspiracy theory to say that you know this group is capable of that on the other hand um you know, it, it's really hard to to figure out what is going on. I mean, people offer all sorts of you know reasonable sounding explanations for why this is happening. They, you know, the the new penalties for exceeding the luxury tax threshold are more stiff. There is, um, you know, there are penalties in terms of draft position. There are penalties in terms of you know, international amateur signings now that didn't exist um, in the last CBA. You know, you do have two teams who were among the highest spenders who are 
in the final year of a multi-year plan on both their parts to get under the luxury tax threshold to reset their penalties. Um, you know, tanking as an effective strategy, you know, has taken over the game um, where you've got probably, you know, less than half the teams in baseball truly trying to win next year, uh, which is a remarkable number. You know, all of these factors, you know, or um, also the the uh, prevalence of analytics um, in the front offices and that te- you know, teams now all value players, you know, similarly compared to, you know, 10 years ago. You know, all these things, you know, sound reasonable. It's just very convenient. Yeah. It's just very amazing to me just how consistent, you know, all of these teams have been acting where um, – where it's been short-term deals um, have been, you know, what has been favored. I mean, Lorenzo Kane and you Darvish are the only two players to get more than a three-year deal. Right. Uh, Darvish is the only player to get more than a hundred million dollars. Um, Lorenzo Kane's really the only guy who's, I mean, of the, the bigger names that have signed have truly gotten the deal that we thought they would. I mean, Wade Davis, you know, set the, the, you know, the record for, you know, average relievers, but he had to settle for a three-year deal to get that as opposed to getting four. Yeah. So so. the actual total amount that he got was less than I think what most people were expecting him to get. So um, it's, yeah. Yeah. He didn't even get the Melanson deal or like the two others, like Aroldis Chapman. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, and who else was it? Kenley Jansen. Yeah, they got five-year deals, so that that was kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, granted, you know, Jansen and Chapman were probably better, and you know, are probably better. I mean, I and they were mm-hmm. younger at the time of their deal, so I mean, it's not surprising that Wade Davis got less than them. It's just the degree to which he got less. Um, I think is is surprising, and so. Um, if it's not legal collusion, um, I definitely do think that there is some form of, of wage suppression going on for the players right now. And um, it represents to me sort of a, a reneging on the fundamental structure of player pay that has existed since free agency began. Uh, the players and owners have been working under the same structure ever since free agency began, which is that we're not going to pay as owners and as teams, we're not going to pay, you know, potential. We are going to pay based on production. You need to go out and prove yourself. Arbitration is the one part of, you know, player pay that's, you know, codified into the CBA. And that is specifically judge based on your production the previous year. It's not based on what you think you're going to do next year. It's what did you produce the year before? Mm -hmm. And so players and owners have been negotiating, you know, um, deals, you know, whether right or wrong, they've been negotiating deals from that same structure that we're not going to pay potential. And that's why, you know, you saw owners push and Jerry Reinsdorf very famously you know, had this philosophical opposition to pay, to not pay, you know, unproven draft talent, you know, paying yeah. amateurs. And he is the one who really fought hard for this hard slotting 
uh, system within the draft because, you know, you didn't want to pay for potential. Um, you know, you, once you make the major leagues, you know, you have to play, you know, six full seasons, uh, right. for a major league team before you can even test free agency. The reward for being in that small group of players who make it through, you know, being drafted or being signed at you know, age 16 and, you know, making it through well, was that you got paid and you got overpaid you know, as a free agent compared to, you know, what, you know, you've been paid for the six to, you know, 10 years of your life, maybe more that you had given to the various teams. And so it now seems like teams have, and GMs have all shifted their thinking and it's, well, we're not going to pay for previous production. You know, CU Epstein's very famously, you know, saying exactly that. And you, you understand it from their point of view, that, you know, you don't want to have these sort of dead money contracts, you know, like Carl Crawford or Edwin Jackson or whatever. Yeah. But it's, it's very odd to me how basically the moment that every single loophole for paying amateurs and paying based on potential was closed. Like in the last CBA, you know, they've now um, put in hard caps on international amateurs to go along with the hard slotting, you know, Cuban and you know Japanese players now have to be, you know, over 25, you know, so that's why Otani only got, you know, 2 million when if he had been on the open market, you know, who knows what kind of crazy deal he would have gotten. Right. You know, the moment that all of those are closed, now teams are all of a sudden consistently not paying based on previous production. Yeah. You could argue and, that uh, Hugh Darvish is underpaid right now for uh, his contract because we expected him to to almost touch like 180 maybe even $200 million. That's what Jake Arrieta is trying to look for now. But you're right. Like uh, the front offices have all gotten smarter. The owners have gotten smarter. They don't want to pay for a contract that's going to become an albatross in a couple of years. Well, I I, I, I chafe a little bit at the notion that they've become smarter now. I, no, I think that's well, yeah, the, yeah. I, I think I think that's well. I mean, I, I I know what you meant, but I do think yeah. it's 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 important that we make this distinction because I do think it's kind of insulting to. You know, you know Theo Epstein, who is a very smart guy and has been a very smart guy at running teams now for you know 15, 16 years. That like just this year he discovered, you know, the drawbacks to offering you know six to eight year contracts. Right. Uh, but, but it is odd that yeah, I don't know if I expected Darvish to get you know 180 or 200, but you know I expected him to maybe you know to get you know John Lester money. Yeah, you know, that seemed reasonable. Yeah, he can only and, get that with incentives now, <laughs> and not right. even then. Would, but. Right, and he, he can't even get that. I mean, like, so again, I mean, he, and it's not even like just incentives like you know John Lester who you know get his seventh year deal. It's basically just you know be healthy. You know right. his deal is like throw two hundred innings your last year, or I think four hundred innings your last two years. Yeah. You know that seventh year becomes guaranteed. You know. Darvish is go out and be the awarded the best pitcher in the league more yeah. than once. Uh, that I mean that's crazy high um, expectations to reach that level. So 
Um, I think it's hard not to argue that that there is some sort of wage suppression going on right now. And you can argue right. whether that's morally right or wrong, um, but it, it's pretty clear that uh, teams aren't willing to pay as much as they used to. And for a sport which has seen players, you know, receiving a smaller and smaller percentage of revenue, uh, it that doesn't bode well for the future of labor peace. And that's no. maybe a maybe that's kind of one of the the dark clouds here about this window is that not only in two uh, after you know 2021 is you know the Brizzo core all going to be hitting free agency, but you know, Theo Epstein is going to hit that, that mythical 10 years with the organization, which, you know, he cites as, you know, sort of his limit when he first got here. And it's also the end of this CBA. And so the, the streak of labor piece might be over. So uh, I, I think, I think there's a solid argument that the Cubs need to be getting what they can in these next four years, right. uh, maximize, to maximize what they, you know, been building since 2012. Right. And uh, I could imagine that a lot of this is the players association's fault because of the way they kind of capitulated over the past couple of negotiations, just giving away more and more. And you alluded to the fact that the revenue stream towards the players has, has slowed. Like they're getting, I believe the number is less than 40% of all revenues. And considering that Major League Baseball is pulling in like $9, $10 billion every year, it's it's hard to imagine that not more of it is going towards the players like the people we pay to see. People we pay exorbitant prices, especially for a Cubs fan trying to get to really feel good, pay to see. But this is a system that they negotiated in good faith. And, you know, that's why they're working within the system and within the system, that means, well, we can wait you out. And uh, whether again, it's morally right or wrong in this case, it doesn't matter in terms of the business because legally that's what they're allowed to do. And it's kind of annoying to us as, as fans, because we've been sitting on our hands for like two months now, like ever since, uh, we we thought, hey, you Darvish can be a viable candidate, and now two months later, he finally signs, like right before spring training. It's not very fun for us, and and between all the pace of play, uh, fighting and whatnot, and the fact that we're about 20 years away from the mythical Deep Space Nine, baseball is going to end as a viable sport. Uh, <laughs> Timestamp. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it, it's kind of scary, man. Like, uh, I, I get where you're coming from in terms of the future, like, you know, where Theo is about to, you know, say sayonara. He just signed his extension, but the extension does end around when everybody's about to leave. So, like, is Tom Ricketts going to pony up the cash to keep the band together? Is it even viable or practical or wise to keep the band together? That's questions down the line. And I do do agree, like, this window is basically wedged open for the next few years, but how they deal with it and how the Players Union and MLB decide to renegotiate the CBA, if that's even possible, that's going to be something very interesting, I believe. Yeah, no, I mean, I think 
I think the the answer that you know everyone is coming to and makes the most sense is is you know younger players need to get paid more. You know, yeah. I mean that's and um, you know how that that system develops. You know, players need to either be able to get to free agency at sure. an earlier age, yeah, or or you know the younger players need to get paid more. You know, maybe pay you know minor leaguers you know a living wage. You know, things like that. You know, need to happen, um, and all of those you know are huge you know, concessions from owners and they haven't been giving very many of those concessions lately. So uh, I'm not particularly optimistic about uh, a, a 2022 baseball season right now, but uh, I'm that, thinking, is, that uh, is a long ways away. Yeah. I'm thinking that Tony Clark, uh, he doesn't necessarily need to be fired, but he needs to find a partner kind of like, uh, the guy who who died of cancer, unfortunately, Michael Weiner. Uh, yeah. He he was a, an actual labor lawyer uh, at, when he negotiated for the union. They need one of those guys to just say, you know what? Instead of 172 days, a full year of service needs to be like 150 or something like that, and that'll prevent uh, clubs from just keeping, say, a Chris Bryant down for two weeks and just, you know magically, oh, yeah, he's right. finally seasoned, and, you know, he's learned his defense, and now he's a viable third baseman. Yay. You know, uh, they they can't do that uh, kind of service time manipulation, and maybe they need to, uh, in addition to just the straight-up arbitration system, set some kind of merit system in place for players who are obviously really, really good and deserve to be paid. So you're not like the pirates saying, okay, well, Garrett Cole, we can give you half a million dollars, but we're not giving you any more because that's what the system allows us to do because we're the pirates and we're cheap, you know, like they, or, they or, or the Astros because, you know, Carlos Correa dared to ask for, you know, a, a raise higher than they thought he should ask prior to arbitration, then paid him league minimum. Yeah. Uh, and that's so. even before the union, like, I don't think they're obligated to fight for their minor league brethren. No, but they, they, given, they are not. They're given not the the Chris Bryant situation, it almost seems like they should. Well, they, it, it, well, the deal is is with the Chris Bryant deal. I mean, it's Chris Bryant and Mikel Franco both filed a, had a grievance filed on their yeah. behalf. Uh, these grievances, we typically don't, you know, hear the 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 settlement whether you know which way it was figured or if it's even been been heard but yeah they both chris bryant and you know miguel franco um they had um a grievance because they both ended up uh you know bryant was one day short and franco was two days short uh and it was pretty clear yeah very very clear i mean the chris bryant one was uh you know as as telegraphed as, as could possibly be what was going on um and so the the question of whether or not um you know if that was fully kosher i don't think has been been answered legally despite uh what many uh people online uh said at the time with uh the chris bryan uh service time issue so um but that's really just one of many wrinkles in this whole thing uh, again 
I understand what the union was doing um, in terms of their negotiations. I mean, I, it's clearly backfired the way that it worked, but, you know, they, they didn't get a, a salary cap. That was the big thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by placing these caps on, you know, amateurs, you know, um, they thought that that money would then get invested into veteran players they didn't expect owners to just then go around and say, well, now we're just not going to spend on veteran players as well. Yeah. Uh, You know, you know, you can argue, I mean, and I don't think, I don't think there's much defense of it, but I can at least understand the thought process behind what the union negotiated and what the union was looking to do in those negotiations. Now, granted, they, they gave up way too much in the interest of labor peace, and I said, that's why, again, I, I'm not very optimistic about, you know, baseball, you know, post this CBA. Yeah. In the short term, though, I guess, like, we can circle back to the U Darvish thing and the fact that at this time, Jake Arrieta is most likely signing somewhere else and that'll net the Cubs another draft pick. So at this time, I believe the Cubs will get two additional draft picks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The... Yeah. Because of Wade Davis and Jake Arrieta potentially signing somewhere else. Uh, there's potential for Jake Arrieta to come back from the total contract, but I'm not holding my breath on that. <laughs> well, uh, I don't even, you know, honestly, you know, the, the Cubs rotation is, is set at this point um, right. because, you know, you know, while Tyler Chatwood is not, you know, you know, Jake Arrieta is better than Tyler Chatwood. And yeah, in a perfect world, yeah, you'd love to have Jake Arrieta uh, in this rotation, you know, on a team-friendly deal versus Tyler Chatwood. You know, the Cubs front office, you know, when they signed him early on, you know, made a pitch to him about here's how you fit into our rotation. Here's how we can help you reach your potential. Yeah. And if before he even throws a regular season pitch, he's moved to the bullpen, yeah. That's going to cause issues. And so, and, you know, while we can say, you know, these things like, well, you know, the front office needs to be flexible and the, you know, you can't promise players these things, that stuff does matter. I mean, the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, the Cubs front office, you know, did what it did for Jason Hamill by not picking up his option and letting him be a free agent, you know, doing those goodwill gestures and living up to your word, that holds weight. Um, yeah. And because the opposite is what happened to the Houston Astros, which, you know, no, no player, you know, prior to Justin Verlander last year, you know, they were trying to trade for all these guys with no trade clause, you know, clauses, and they would kept getting turned down. No one wanted to go there because the players didn't respect, they didn't like the way that they were being treated by that front office. So yeah, it's, it's something that matters. Yeah, the positive word of mouth is probably why you Darvish ultimately chose, and, you know, Chris Jimenez probably – is it Jimenez or Jimenez? Uh, I, I, gotta, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I talked honest. about that with Andy last week, and I'll, I'll look it up later. But, uh, yeah, uh, based on the draft picks, uh, even if they were to tank uh, the the luxury tax next year, I think the, uh, the international signing uh, period, mm-hmm. their bonus is – are set by by league record and 
and their penalties reset this year. So now this is a chance for the Cubs to reload with more slot money in the draft and more international draft money. And if they I, also, yeah. Oh, they, I was gonna, just going to say, if I recall correctly, it, it did change a little bit. Not only is the, the draft, uh, the international amateur pools now set, I believe it now is based on whether you received revenue sharing or whether you didn't pay the luxury tax. Like if you paid the luxury tax, then it's the lowest level. Yeah. If you received revenue sharing, it's the highest. And then there's a middle level that's, um, you know, if you don't fall into either of those categories. And of course you do lose some of that money. If you sign any, uh, any free agents, a free agent that is tied to, you know, compensation, that's an, an additional penalty. So, uh, but they do have the ability now to offer more than I think the 300,000 that they were uh, limited to uh, last the last two years. So they, they have opportunity now to go out and get, you know, uh, some guys at the top of the international amateur market. Yeah. Oh, I, I did look it up. It's uh, Jimenez. <laughs> so, it is Jimenez. All it right. is. Oh. Soft G. He, so, he actually came from Gilroy, which is uh, around where yeah. my wife and I were from. So uh, Gilroy, California. Yeah. So I get to, to sound like an idiot for for <laughs> not remembering or or no. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things that nobody yeah, really okay. remembers. But uh, out of respect yeah, no. for but, this guy hey, who helped recruit yeah, no, no, you, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm not gonna not gonna. I definitely did not want to insult uh, 2018's David Ross. So uh, it's going to be awesome, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So I guess we we have a roster. We got three days to spring training, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the new pace of play negotiations and whether Rob Manfred really shoehorns in that pitch clock and all that stuff because I, I don't know how. Uh, amicable these negotiations are going to be so that's the next few things to watch because I think just before the first Cactus League and Grapefruit League games it, it's going to happen and like one way or the other like is it going to be the commissioner's you know mandate or is it going to be a compromise that's that's the first stage and then over the next few years it's like how are we going to make sure more money is funneled towards the young players that you actually do want to pay for the production, but not really because owners are cheap. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's, there, there's certainly a lot of, a lot of things that are going on. Um, ultimately it's nice though, that we have a full roster. We have a talented roster. Um, it was, it was concerning to me, uh, you know, that, the formula that the Cubs have worked so well on during this run here, which is, you know, good starting pitching, good defense, um, and good offense, you know, that, uh, that, that starting pitching was going to be as shaky as it was. If you were counting on, you know, Tyler Chatwood reaching his potential, Alex Cobb finding, you know, his pre Tommy John form or heaven forbid, you know, Mike Montgomery, making, you know, 32 starts as much as I like Mike Montgomery and think he's a very valuable pitcher. Um, 
30 starts did not excite me and in uh, yeah. a year where they're supposed to be vying for their second and, title in our lifetime. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm just like thinking about the opt-outs and when John Lester's deal expires and around when, you know, Kyle Hendricks is about to hit free agency. And that's, well, that's when the next wave of prospects is, hopefully going to be developed and you're talking about your Alzales and your De La Cruz's and Jen Hosang and hopefully some one of those guys develops like Brendan Little, Alex Lang. Uh, there, there's names in there. You just hope that they're able to fill those shoes when the time comes. But uh, again, like that is predicated on whether there is a 2022 baseball season or if it well, starts on time. Yeah. Fun to think well, I mean, about, but it's also it is. Scary. Well, I mean, I mean, prior to to you, Darvish, uh, the the four pitchers that the Cubs, you know, have signed, they, their deals all come up at exactly the same time. They they're all free agents after the 2020 season. Yep, yep. So you're you're looking at having to to reload your rotation almost completely in that final year of the window. Um, and to me, it seems like, and it's, you know, this has been the plan from, I think, the very beginning, which is, uh, yeah, they, they need young pitchers to fill out the bullpen. They need young pitchers to fill out the starting rotation. If you're going to extend this window beyond 2021, um, you know, because you're going to have to, if you're going to keep Chris Bryant, which please keep Chris Bryant here forever, um, yeah. You know, you're going to be paying him a lot of money for a long time. You know, to keep Anthony Rizzo here, you're going to be paying him a lot of money for a long time. So you can't be spending, you know, $10 million, you know, uh, per year on your closer or, you know, $10 million on, you know, or $6 million on, you know, middle relievers or setup guys or $20 million on every one of your starters. You're going to need those cheap young arms to allow you to spend yeah. at the top there uh, for your position players. So, um, and yeah. if you listen to the front office with their whole draft philosophy, you know, that they're set at the beginning, the reason why we take bats at the top isn't just because they're safer though. That's part of it. It's that to get an elite hitter, you've got to be drafting at the top. Like that, yeah. you know, every once in a while, you know, you get Albert Pools or Mike Piazza where, you know, they're, they're deep in the draft and you get that generational hitter, but more often than not, they're Chris Bryant who you're taking number two. And so pitchers on the other hand can be found throughout the draft. You know, Jake Arrieta was what a, a fifth rounder, um, you know, uh, you know, John Lester was a second rounder. If I remember right, or it might've been a first round supplemental, right. Uh, you know, would be a second rounder today. I think where his pick, you know, so, you know, the I think this has always been the plan here is is that, you know, you develop that core of position players and then as, you know, your draft position slides while you're doing well, well, now you start taking more pitchers and you have to hit on those and you, you know, you have to get some of those guys, you know, to, to develop and to, to fill in those roles. And so to me, that was part of my argument about signing you Darvish now is that, um, you can't be trading, you know, those guys, you can't be trading those, those arms as easily because 
if you truly want to extend that window, you need to hit on those. And you can't be giving up a guy like, you know, Zach Godley, who, you know, at the time we thought was a nothing guy for Miguel Montero. I mean, he wasn't even the, the headliner in that deal. And gee, wouldn't he be nice to have right now? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of interesting how we keep like, uh, we, in, in this particular podcast, even like we just keep waffling between we, we feel for the players, we want them to get paid. And then we start thinking about like the business side of the baseball, given the system we have, like what can we do to maximize the return on this team? And I, I always thought that was interesting. And in, in a way I feel kind of guilty and thinking like, you know, back then, well, you could have paid, you know, Alvin Pujols and Prince Fielder a bazillion dollars, but now Prince Fielder is out of baseball and Alvin Pujols is grounding into a double play every other, other at that. So, but, you know, like there is a certain way you want to build that baseball team. And there is a certain, like, you know, uh, positive to being analytical in these things. But at the end of the day, like baseball might be in trouble uh, heading into the next CBA negotiations in 2021. And we have to be cognizant of that. And it, yeah. it's like one of those loaded questions again, like we broached on it a bit, but uh, I, I think this will take more than several blog posts and podcasts. And basically it, it will take a lot of action from MLB and the players union to figure out what is ideal and, I don't know that they'll ever get to compromise, but I'm, I'm hopeful that's whatever they decide, you know, pace of play wise, uh, money wise to just keep attracting the best athletes to the sport that we all love. Like it sustains this, uh, this sport that we love way past the dates that Steve Six Nine said, you know, Buck Bukai got the last out in the, in the 20, whatever world series, right? right? Uh, it's yeah. <laughs> it, it's kind of scary because we are like less, you know, twenty years away from that, and it's uh, I don't want baseball to end, you know, and uh, it, it's just I, I I don't know. There's there's just so many thoughts in my head right now of like how you can funnel money towards the players that you really want to pay and whatnot, but uh, at, right now I think our attention can be, okay, in three days, the team that we love that has gone to three straight NLCSs that has won the World Series and is probably poised to win another. They have, at the very least, top five rotation. They have a position player core that has shown how good they can be, and that is probably on the way to bounce back. I feel like we can in the short term, feel good about ourselves and then uh, worry about the long term when it gets there. But that kind of philosophy is what how we got into trouble in the first place with uh, the Players oh, Union. So certainly. I, I guess, yeah, I guess we got to think in both the short term and the long term. In the short term, I think we're okay. In the long term, let's see what happens. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think... I think you touched on quite a few things there that are, that are important. I do think that um, the way in which we oftentimes talk and think about baseball uh, reflexively is, is anti-player. I mean, I think many of us and myself certainly included in this 
to sort of default into that armchair GM mode. And so, yeah, I mean, I just was talking about how, you know, they need those cheap underpaid years for, uh, for pitchers in order to extend this window um, beyond 2021. And so it, it's really easy for us to get into this. I mean, we talk about good and bad contracts and what we mean is, you know, team friendly, which you know, by extension means, you know, less than friendly to the players. So, um, I, you know, you talked about, you know, how at the time, you know, and I wanted Prince Fielder just because I loved Prince Fielder as a player. I, I thought he was a fun guy. I, I liked watching his dad too, uh, you know, um, and while, you know, now that, you know, Prince Fielder's out of the game and, and Albert Pujols is, you know, a shell of the guy who terrorized us for a decade in St. Louis, um, you know, I, I think on the one hand, yes, you have to acknowledge that, you know, for teams, these aren't always great when you spend that big money, but um, it, it's pretty convenient here because when we talk about the Cubs here, the front office has done a good job of, of mixing, you know, uh, the cheap young players that they've drafted and, and traded for and then spent money when they needed to. And now was the time for them to spend money. You know, they had a yeah. clear need. They, uh, they, have the they got a great deal. Yeah. They have the flexibility. I think they got a great deal. I mean, I know it's again, $126 million, you know, seems like would be life-changing money for you and I, but uh, you know, it really is. uh, That's really not uh, a huge, that's not really a huge amount of money in terms of baseball. So, um, you know, I think what the Cubs have done and what I've been most pleased about is the, the front office's willingness to, to go for the kill, to yeah. to uh, to push to push the chips, basically not all in because you know you don't want to use them all at this point, but they've moved enough and they've made good bets here. I mean, whether that was the you know Chapman trade, you know, um, you know oh, the I think the trade for Jose you know Quintana was is good, uh, you know, and I think this U Darvish move is good, so. Um, I, I've been really happy with what they've done in terms of baseball decisions. You know, the morality stuff, it gets a little dicey. Right. Will you answer all our hopes and prayers? And as you raise that flag forever, only you can let... Before we head out for the night, do you have any plans to come to a game at Wrigley anytime soon, like for the next year? <laughs> um, you know, I actually did make it to, to Wrigley last year for like the first time. I think the last time I had been to Wrigley was 2008. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I broke my streak last year. Um, I actually ended up going to uh, Miller Park for the first time. Um, I went um, in that last series between uh, the Cubs and Brewers up at Miller Park. And so that was fun. Um, I'd like to go. Uh, it's kind of always my, my intention to I've had sort of as a resolution the past couple of years to go to more in-person baseball games. Um, and 
So I'm definitely thinking of going to minor league games more than I, I have in the past. But oh yeah, yeah, uh, it's something. It's something I'm considering. I guess I should put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> haven't, so, haven't splurged and bought the tickets yet, but yeah, so, single so sale, enough. single game tickets. I think come on sale on February 23rd, and I really want to go to the July game against the Diamondbacks because they're giving away a Javi bobblehead. Oh, okay. uh, we we usually uh I'm up schedule for yeah we schedule our games based on like what the govs are going to give us because we are already spending so much and they're like you know like in addition to seeing a few dingers like what are you going to give me you know <laughs> so <Right. laughs> so uh yeah uh I want to thank you again for taking the time to yak with yeah no problem us. uh hopefully you get to finish that thing that one little piece, uh, I believe it was called The Hunt for Blue October. I have no idea what it's about, but uh, I'm curious to see well, what uh, you come you, up with. <laughs> well, it, it's like I said, it was actually, it's going to be at least one uh, first part of two. And I think I have got a little bit to finish to make the, the first part, I think, make sense. And I'm at like 1,500 words, and it is wow. in my the 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 fun with cubs vein uh, of things so uh-huh. uh yeah so yeah <laughs> all right so we gotta thank you again uh you are at on twitter mm-hmm. uh at dabinsky uh d-a-b-y-n-s-k-y all right and of course you can find me on twitter at cubic snarconia the boss man who's uh who's still attending to his mama and I hope everybody's okay. He can be found at WS dreaming underscore cubs. We are at world series com, where you can find our articles and, uh, dab is now, uh, hanging out at cubs den, uh, still a great blog site and, you know, rest in peace, John Aguayo. Um, yep. Uh, you can find us, of course, on iTunes, and we want to thank Rich Deanna for our theme song and Randall Sanders for copping the uh, the final out call from Pat Hughes. Uh, never get tired of that. So, uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Uh, thanks for listening. Please email us at worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com. Any last words, sir? Uh, at this moment, no. I think I think we covered it all. All right, let's uh, hope that baseball survives into the 24th century and beyond. So, peace out, y'all. Go Cubs. Thanks for listening. It was more than just a game.